good morning uh, from me. It's great to see you all here. Uh, if you're visiting, my name is Matt and uh, I'm the senior pastor here at One Hope. A uh, big welcome to you. And uh, this morning, uh, as we do each week, we're going to take uh, some time to reflect on some principles from God's Word so that we can each... Uh, each time we come together, you know, our hope is that we align ourselves more and more with God and with what He is doing. And, you know, we all, uh, it's important that we do this regularly. Uh, we all need that little checkup, that little, you know, knock into it, you know, because it, it's so easy for our attitudes and mindsets just to veer off. I uh, often say we've kind of got bad wheel, bad wheel alignment uh, as, uh, as human beings. And so uh, these are important regular times to, um, you know, to bring our hearts before God and allow God to shape us. This morning, I want to um, continue well, sort of uh, bring something that is related to something I spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Was I here a couple of uh, weeks ago? Uh, again, if you're visiting, I alternate between our two campuses. So One Hope Church, uh, we have uh, this Moolap campus here and another campus over at, um, uh, in, in the Barrable Hills area in Highton. And I alternate between the two. So anyway, <laughs> um, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to you about confession and the importance of confession as a response to God. And today, I just want to extend on that uh, somewhat. When we, um, uh, when we look out uh, into our world and we look through the lens of, of the media and the things that get plastered on our TV screens and our newspapers, there are so many issues out in the world that, uh, that draw our attention and so much that would potentially make us very angry. In fact, some things that should, uh, you know, even should make us angry. And one of the problems is that uh, we, we tend to react in a way to these things that actually compounds an area of dysfunctionality for us as human beings. It actually compounds something that is really, really unhealthy that I want to talk a little bit about uh, today. There is a, a, there's a very famous book that was written by a Jewish philosopher called uh, Hannah Arendt, and she covered the uh, trial of Adolf Eichmann in Jerusalem in the early 60s. There was a very famous uh, trial that, that occurred. Um, Adolf Eichmann was responsible for the, um, the transports of Jewish people uh, to the camps during the Second World War. And they managed to chase him down, and he was finally brought to trial um, in Jerusalem. And, uh, and, and so Hannah Arndt was there and covering this trial and, and, and uh, you know, bringing her observations of this. And the subtitle of the book is interesting because the, the title of the book is um, Eichmann in Jerusalem and the subtitle is The Banality of Evil. Banality, uh, if something is banal, then it's kind of commonplace, it's unoriginal, it's like... And the... It's, her observations were that throughout the trial, they're trying to find something extraordinarily evil about this guy because, because he was involved in something terrible and they're trying to find something in this guy that was extraordinarily evil. You know, evil. And, and actually, it turns out that the guy was just a pretty ordinary guy. You know, he was fairly opportunistic. He took job promotions. He did things to uh, progress his career. And through all of these little ordinary uh, decisions, um, 
he, you know, he, he ended up being part of this terrible, terrible thing. And she points out that we have this propensity to want to caricature evil so that it doesn't look anything like us. <laughs> Right? So we'll caricature. So we go around looking for these really evil people. Where are these evil people out there? You know, because we, um, we, have this, uh, we have this belief that the world is divided into good people and bad people. You know, there are the good guys and then there are the bad guys. And, and, um, and, and we assume that we're the good guys, right? And we all feel really angry about, there are bad guys out there, right? Because there's all these terrible things happening in the world. But, so there must be really bad guys out there. And we're looking for these bad guys, right? And actually, um, that's a problem. That attitude is a real problem. Because actually, and this was the uncomfortable realisation that came, uh, that comes through this, uh, this book that, that, that I've quoted, is that, Actually, evil is a very, unfortunately, is an ordinary thing in our world today. I'm not saying it's not serious. I'm just saying it's very ordinary. Like, you know, and, and we all contribute in different ways and we all share a common problem. And this is one thing that I talked about last week, is that we tend to moralise our issue. You know, our, we, we tend to identify our, the issues the big issues that we have and the thing that we need forgiveness for and so forth as being just moral issues. But the moral issues are actually the little, little bits of bad fruit on the end of branches that go down to really bad roots. Now, uh, this is important because it means that at core, there is a problem with human nature. There is a fundamental problem with our humanity. Now, a lot of people take issue with this. This is a very fundamental aspect, uh, important aspect of our Christian worldview. And some people disagree with that or, or, or take issue with that because they think that, it, well, it just puts people down. Do you know there is no higher view of all worldviews and philosophies, I have not found a higher view of humanity than I have in the Bible. Human life in Scripture is absolutely sacred, but it's the sheer, it's the sacredness and the magnitude of the dignity of human beings that makes our corruption so serious. Because we were created with such authority, we were created, in a sense, as very powerful. But when that goes wrong, even if it's knocked a little bit off course, it can do very powerfully bad things, particularly when it's all combined. And so there is this, this big root issue, and I've described it as something like a kind of God complex in human nature. And of course, it's so common that we tend not to recognise it as a problem. Ah, oh, but that's just everyone's like that. And, and that reaction that, well, it, well, just, it, well everyone's like that, somehow translates into, well, it's not that serious then. And, and so we, we then identify relatively minor moral differences. And if someone has just a little bit more of a moral difference, oh, oh, the evil, evil person, right? When actually at core, that's just the bad fruit on the end of a branch that goes down to a human nature that actually we all share. Now, 
I'm not here to make you feel bad uh, today. <laughs> well, actually, maybe I am. I'll talk about that in, in a moment, actually, because there's something wonderful here, actually. Uh, for me, and I know this sounds funny, facing that has been the foundation of my joy. The Christian life is incredibly joyful. It's, it's so incredibly joyful and liberating. But that joy is founded in a realisation of that, that fundamental humanity. And I'll explain something about that today. But let me read something from uh, the Gospels. This is from Matthew <coughs> chapter 7. And the, the, the idea here is that given that this is the case, this is the foundational idea behind, behind this uh, teaching of Jesus where he says you cannot judge one another. And the reason we can't judge one another is because we all it's essentially hypocritical. This is why we cannot judge one another. And, and this is actually a very unique thing about the Christian faith. This is a very unique perspective of the Christian faith. Uh, in other worldviews, well, you probably could judge one another. In other worldviews, maybe there are really evil people and then good people, but actually... On a Christian world, you have no basis on which to judge another person. And this is the way that Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure you used, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your eye? You, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The idea here is that there's this sense that the speck of sawdust, there's the plank and the speck of sawdust. And there's a sense this, this, the speck of sawdust is the thing that comes off the plank, right? <laughs> now we all have the plank, we all have the plank. So it's hypocriti hypocritical for me to say, oh, bit of sawdust. Bit of, oh, evil, evil person. Because we all have the plank. We all have this fundamentally fallen nature. Now, what happens when we react to great evil when we, and, and the world, you know, there is great evil in the world, not denying or downplaying that. But we always have a choice. And it's a choice between, do I judge that evil? And when I judge, it means I'm setting myself off from that, okay? I'm taking, I mean, there are many reasons not to judge, and I'm not going to talk about them all today. The main reason being, uh, that's God's job. That's God's job. And so judging is a further expression of the very God complex that is the core of all our problems, right? So that's why it's incredibly hypocritical to ju judge because then you're just playing God. So you actually, by judging, you are actually demonstrating or expressing the very core problem that we all share. But the other thing that happens when we judge is that we set ourselves off from other people. So if I judge you, I set my, I'm, oh, I'm nothing like you and you're nothing. And I, and I it's, it's me setting myself off from you. <clears throat> now, what's the alternative? The alternative 
is that I identify with you. There's not a lot in between here, actually. Uh, and again, it's not downplaying the fact that, you know, we can suffer great evil and, and that there are great evils out, all of this sort of thing. But judging a person, even a person who hurts you, and this is a matter of fact, judging that person will not bring healing into your life. In fact, it'll make the problem worse. <clears throat> uh, Christian psychologists, secular psychologists are even saying that now, right? It's, it'll just make things worse. But actually, the Christian response to situations when we're confronted by situations of evil is to recognise that there is something fundamental there that we share. I, I told you the story uh, how last year I, I was reading the... Um, the biography, a biography of Vladimir Putin and, and the sort of quintessential uh, bad guy in, in our time. And, and I was, you know, reading this book uh, because, you know, I, I was qu- quite incensed by this terrible war and people are getting killed and it's all just seems so futile. And, and, and I'm reading this book about, you know, Vladimir Putin is, you know, and this uncomfortable feeling uh, was growing in me that actually I had more in common with this man than I had different, than there was difference. And I told you about how I resisted that feeling, but actually facing that and facing that in myself actually threw me back on the grace of God in the most profound way and brought me so much joy. Because grace is the foundation of our joy. There, there were biblical practices that were designed to cultivate uh, this, uh, these practices that would ensure that we're not taking this kind of judgmental attitude. Uh, and they were built into the life uh, of, of the nation. Let me just give you another, another you know, quick uh, example. Because an aspect before I, before I look at that, and this is, this is speaking to you know, uh, an, an issue that we've seen a lot of in the last, particularly in the last decade, and that is the issue of racism, for example. Now, racism is, the root of racism is based in a human propensity to, to take on a kind of superiority complex. Essentially, that's, that's the root uh, of racism. And the root of that goes down, again, to the God complex, right? So God complex, superiority complex, uh, turns into, in certain circumstances, turns into racism. So it's, I, I find it when, you know, the, the way that this often gets handled is everyone's rushing around looking for those terrible racists, right? And, you know, uh, you know in sense, and there's so much anger, there's a lot of anger. Have you noticed there's a lot of anger in the world today? People getting angry about other people. And, and it should, dist- as Christians, it should disturb us. And we certainly should not get caught up in, in the anger. Because actually we can do better than that. Because the anger, looking around for these terrible races, that, that's not going to actually fix the situation. What we do is that we take the lead in repentance. We take the lead. We face the superiority complex in ourselves 
that leads to that. We own that. We model to a world what it looks like actually to be repentant about something. We own it. And then we can be a powerfully redemptive presence in this world because we model what that looks like. And again, serious issue, not helped by setting ourselves off from these people and caricaturing these evil people out there in a way that ensures that we never feel like they're anything like us. Because that happens a lot, doesn't it? As I said, there were biblical practices uh, that were um, built into the life of Israel to ensure, uh, cultivate an awareness of a common humanity. And it was a kind of, it was a practice of corporate confession. I spoke a couple of weeks ago about confession. And the point of these moments of corporate confession, and, and it was each year there was this cycle, you know, where they would remember the, the, the sins of the past. And they would, there were times of actually, in the midst of times of celebration and joy, but they were also times of corporate confession. And they were often remembering things from like, well, I mean, a thousand years before. Like, wowzers. You'd think someone would say, you guys need to just get over it. Gee, like, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, like one of the famous example is the, you know, the, the time of wandering in the desert. And they would look back to that, right? And they would remember that time, right? And it was built into the life of Israel to remember, right? To remember that. And this was important because they were always remembered that that thing that expressed itself then, that thing is in me. And, and this, the lesson is uh, highlighted in Psalm uh, 95, which says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, there are people whose hearts gone astray. They have not known my way, so I declared in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And the purpose of, and th- this is a psalm that belongs to a context in which these events are being remembered. And the point is not to make atonement again and again and again for the same sins. The point is to remember that that thing that was in them is in you. I mean, even like potentially a thousand years later, and even now Jewish people still do this, still celebrate these same festivals. It's like thousands of years later. You know, it's like, that's a very kind of meagre connection. No, actually, it's not about that. It's about remembering what's in us. And so... Things like the Feast of Tabernacles, you know, the Israelites were to celebrate the 40 years wandering in the desert. And there are certain, as I said, there are other Psalms that encapsulate this same kind of attitude. Psalm 106 is, uh, is another one. Uh, Remember me, Lord, when you show favour to your people. Come to my aid when you save them, that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may share in the joy of your nation and join your inheritance in giving praise. Right. So this is the goal. But how, how do we get to that? How do we find, how do we recover that joy? Not through self-righteousness. Not through self-righteousness. But by remembering our human condition and remembering that God holds the solution by remembering the grace of God. 
Uh, and so this is the standard form of confession. And you see this um, repeatedly in various places uh, in Scripture. Standard form of confession, verse 6. We have sinned even as our ancestors did. We have done wrong and acted, wittily, uh, acted wickedly. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, they, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea, dried, and it goes on from there. Then verse 13, but they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. In the desert, they gave into their craving. In the will, And it goes on and on. The psalm goes on and on, <laughs> describing indeed to all these things that happen. And you know, as time goes on, that stuff goes further and further into the past and yet they still find benefit in remembering those things. It's why they're not just going to, oh, get over it. You know, it's like how many times you have to say sorry about this sort of stuff. No, no, actually, the being sorry, the cultivation of a godly sorrow is the foundation of our joy. There are things in my past that, that I have sought God's forgiveness for and, and, you know, that have been dealt with. And, but it's not like when I confess those sins, oh, well, now I'm not sorry about it anymore. No, actually, I will always remember that I stand today on the grace of God. And therefore, I know that I will stand tomorrow on the grace of God. That I'm, I stand in the favour of God, not because I'm worthy, but despite being unworthy. It's such a liberating thing. It's like there's nothing that the accuser can tell me that's going to take away my sense of God's favour. Oh, yeah, I know. In fact, it's much worse than you even think. And yet, I stand in the grace of God. And it's remembering. It's remembering that. That that actually, you know, and bringing that to mind. And when I confront different issues, and I don't, uh, I don't shy away from confronting those things, I increasingly have this, and I'm learning this in God, to have this reaction, rather than, oh, those evil people back then or there, or I'm increasingly saying, oh, Lord, have mercy on us. Us. Lord, have mercy on us. Oh, Jesus, we, we, we need you. I can't set myself off from them. Lord, have mercy on us. I uh, recently um, uh, uh, have been uh, reading a book called One Blood. It's a book by um, the uh, Australian linguist um, and uh, Bible translator, actually, uh, called uh, John Harris, and it's a massive book on the Christian encounter with indigenous peoples uh, in this land. Uh, this week, by the way, uh, you, you may be aware, is Reconciliation uh, Week. So uh, I, I, uh, I remember, you know, I, I've, it's such a big book, I'm, I'm actually still, I'm still working my way through it. And it's great because it's got lots of primary sources, lots of, uh, with, particularly with a hot button issue like that, I like to get back to primary sources because hot button issues, there tends to be a lot of subjectivity that spills into the, uh, into the debates. And, and so, I, I, you know, I like books that provide lots of primary sources. That is original letters and documents. And, 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 but as I've, as I've been uh, reading this book, I, 
I was reminded of how much blood has been spilt on this. I mean, it really is bad, like, you know. Um, how much blood is spilt on this soil that we live on, you know, in this, uh, this wonderful uh, country that, that we live in, um, this wonderful, beautiful place, but yet there's blood in the soil. Now, in a sense, every, uh, everyone everywhere in the world faces this circumstance. I mean, humanity has progressed to where it has, like there is so much blood in the soil <laughs> wherever, you, wherever you go. But this reminded me in our country how much that is true. And it was interesting, as I was reading this, at first it made me angry. It made me angry at the people that did these things. But I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision about how I'm going to respond to this. Because my natural inclination was to set myself up. Oh, but I would never have done that. I would, that's, I, I would never have been involved in that. Uh, I have the same, you know, the, 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 the same response in a sense when I think about, uh, because I'm uh, half English, half German, and I think about the things that went on in Germany during the Second World War. And it's very easy, and, and there's a tendency even in, in Germany for people to just condemn that former generation. Ah, oh, well, they were all evil. And that is such a dysfunctional way of, of dealing with that problem. And I had this, this wonderful moment, actually, of recognising that I have an opportunity here. That we are empowered to bring redemption into this space, onto this blood-soaked ground. We can actually be bringers of redemption into this space. And we don't do that by setting these things off from us. We do that by choosing to identify with that. By choosing to say, you know what? Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. And what we do is that we draw a kind of a grace circle, right? By choosing to own those things and choosing to confess those things, we become leaders in repentance. And what this nation needs, what this world needs, is a repentance that will lead to salvation, that will lead to reconciliation. But someone has to lead the way and that is your mission if you choose to accept it. And it's not about rushing around looking for those terrible evil people. It's not the angry activist thing. There's a place for activism, but not that kind of activism in the Christian mission. Not rushing around looking for those evil people and just condemning the sins of others. But actually saying, yeah, you know, it was really bad. And I will identify that because I share a common humanity. And praying, Lord, have mercy on us. There's a, there's a story in uh, the book of Ezra about Ezra. When Ezra comes from a long, long way away and he comes to Jerusalem 
And he discovers the people there in Jerusalem, they're really going off track. They've really lost the plot. You know? um, they've, they've lost their distinctness. They're, they're living like the other nations. It's like after all the things that God has done, right there, they've just gone way off track. And Ezra is a godly, godly man. And this is what he does. He goes into the temple courts and he sits down and he puts on sackcloth. It's, it's uh, a symbol of repentance and penitence. Uh, penitence is feeling bad for, about sin. That's penitence. Uh, and he sits down and he mourns over the sins of the people. And he actually says, this is his, his confession is, Lord, I have sinned against you. This is what he says. This is Ezra. He's only just turned up, right? <laughs> From like hundreds of kilometres away. He's turned up, but he sits in the courts and he says, Lord, I have sinned against you. And do you know what happens? As he's sitting there repenting of his sins, other people are like, what? what's Ezra doing? And they start one by one. They start joining him, Right? it becomes catching. And you know, it brings about a remarkable revival because one person, a godly man, decided, I'm going to lead the way in repentance. I am going to lead the way. And I, I believe that there's a key here. There's a key attitude that is the core of what it means to be a redemptive presence in the world. It doesn't mean you being holier than thou and riding in on your moral high horse. It means modelling humility. It means modelling repentance. It means being the first one to say, Lord, have mercy on us. We really need your grace here. And you become the conduit through which the grace of God comes into that space. Now, there are lots of things about all of these issues, including the issue of reconciliation that I haven't talked about uh, today. And it's not my, I, you know, I'm not even going to begin to solve those, those issues, particularly the political issues. Right? I'm just not even going to go near that because, you know, there it's so complex and uh, there are, lots of people have different opinions and we want a church in which we can all share different opinions. But the core thing that we need to share is this, what I've talked about today. That's the core thing. It's what is our disposition? What is, what is our attitude? What actually changes the world? What is going to change the world? What is going to change your workplace? What is going to change your school? What is going to change your social situations? It's not you pointing at people and, and you know, being angry about the sins of others. I mean, fine, be angry, but just make sure it turns back on yourself, right? Make sure it turns to penitence in yourself, quickly. Because that will lead you and others to the most wonderful experience of redemption. It's okay to feel bad, you know? It's okay to feel bad. It's okay to look at the evil in the world and feel bad about it. Because to me, that penitence, that's the theological word for it, that penitence 
leads to the most profound experience of joy. This is the wonderfully countercultural thing about the Christian faith. It leads to a rediscovery of the grace of God. And you realize just how amazing that grace actually is. <laughs> Why don't we stand together? Let's just pause for a moment and I want to ask you, as, just as, as our eyes are closed and as we just wait on God for a moment, I want you to think about your family situation. I want you to think about your work situation. I want to think about those con- contexts where you feel that there's an element of toxicity in it. There's something wrong here in this situation. And I'm going to encourage you today to own that and to lead the way by saying, Lord, have mercy on us. Father in heaven, today, as we stand upon this ground, we recognise that we stand on soil that is blood-soaked in many respects. And it makes us sad. And we are sorry for what we as human beings have perpetrated in this world. And we are part of that. And we can only cry out to you, Lord, because you have made a way for us to cry out and pray this prayer. Today we cry out, Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, Lord God. We pray that through our confession, Father, through our realisation that your grace and redemptive power would pour into this situation. That we would be shining lights of grace in a very judgmental, angry world. Lord, forgive us for trying to do and to be what only you can do and be, Lord. You are God. Forgive us, Lord, we pray, for playing God. Would you forgive us, Lord, for ways in which we have judged others? Lord, we identify and own all of the sins that we have previously judged. We recognise, yes, Lord, there is a plank in our eye. And we call on you, Lord, have mercy on us. And we thank you that a promise, a sure promise of mercy is given to us in Jesus Christ, who died 
to pay for all of our sins and to bring grace into this dark world. May your light shine. May the wind of your spirit come and bring revival, Lord, in this place as we turn from sin, as we recognise our need, as we cry out, have mercy, have mercy on us, we pray.